is episode 322 of the Seahawkers podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz of the Military Seahawkers, and joining me is my good buddy and Montana Seahawker, Adam Emmert. What is up, Brandon? Today we get to uh, dissect press conferences, which will be kind of fun, I think. I'm actually looking forward to this. This is my attempt to start out with the first off-season podcast and not be grumpy off-season podcast, Adam. <laughs> And have a little better attitude. You're going to you're going to break your streak. Is this or or this is this is you getting one out of the way just to know that you can do it. And then we'll be back to, you know, normal, grumpy offseason podcast. Adam, look, I'm not going to make any promises, but I'm hoping to, you know, have a streak here and try to be try to be a little little better on that that front, because I I, I know I get a little little grumpy as the offseasons wear on. I'll try and help you, too, because I think that maybe as we're evaluating ourselves, much like Pete Carroll is evaluating the team, Mm -hmm. and and that's what we're going to get into today, I I could be better at setting you up for success because a lot of times I talk about just how exciting things are to talk about in the offseason, and and Mm -hmm. maybe that's not helpful for you. You know, as a coach, if if I'm coaching myself and self-scouting, I probably don't need to get so excited in the offseason about stuff the stuff that I do. Right. So basically what you're saying is that you're just too excitable about stuff that doesn't matter. Right. And that's not helpful to you because you're like, why are you being so excited? You shouldn't be excited about these things. And then it it makes you grumpy. It makes me sound grumpy for sure. You're right. This is all your fault. I'm glad we got to the bottom of this. You're I would fire you like uh, we fired shoddy, but uh, I honestly don't think it would be better for our deal if I did that. So (laughs) it would, it would make it a significantly bigger job for you to get the show out every week. Yeah. Well, that's one way to look at it. The other way would be that it just wouldn't go out. So it might be lesser of a job. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Okay. So the big news, Brian Schottenheimer let go as the Seahawks offensive coordinator. There's other news too, but really this was the big thing from last week that Mm -hmm. when I think back to the things that we talked about on the last show, I, I think you can see this coming. Yeah, uh, shots fired for sure, man. I mean, Pete, not fucking around. He he decided. Uh, I mean, to be swift about this, and this is this is a little unusual. I think the fact that this happened right now, it, this quickly that that was something that didn't seem like their regular mo. Mm-hmm. And yeah, after listening to Pete's end of year press conference, and this was before the decision had been announced. There were definitely little things that they were shots fired at shoddy, like for sure. And we are going to get into that. And and you can probably pick out those little micro moments where there is criticism of the offense. Let's get through some of the other news, though, before we get there. Uh, The other big news, John Schneider extended as general manager through 2027. Wow. So. That must be really fun for the Detroit Lions. They're enjoying their extension, right? They extended him. They signed him and they extended him to 2027. Well, the Seahawks, the Seahawks signed him. They, they ha- and he's extended with us. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what I was told. <laughs> I was told he was going to Detroit. That makes no sense. You mean, it's, you mean it could John still Schneider? Happen. It could still happen. Yeah. Okay. You mean John Schneider decided to stay with a winning organization instead of going to a turd of an organization that happened. Apparently who could have seen that coming? I mean, maybe two of us that are on the show that have been podcasting and talking about the Seahawks since 2013. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say uh, basically anybody who would call themselves a 12 uh, saw that coming. It's not like we're Miss Cleo up here. In other 
Front office news, the Seahawks vice president of football operations, Scott Fitterer, he interviewed with the Panthers and got the GM job there. All right. So who on the Carolina roster are you interested in? Because you know John's going to be poaching from uh, Fitterer now. Like, that's happening. Yeah, we, we've got a connection now. There we go. See? Yeah. You know, you bring this up and you expect me to just rattle off players on the Carolina Panthers who are, you know, coming toward the end of their contract. I have done no legwork on this. You're, you're hitting me no. cold on this. Okay. I, I figured you'd say at least McCaffrey. You'd be interested in him. That's not going to happen. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe fitter or a mole. Maybe he's a plant. Maybe, maybe he is doing the NFL equivalent as uh, McHale did when he went to Minnesota and traded KG to the uh, Celtics for basically uh, a loaf of bread and, uh, uh, you know, $5 and a bag of basketballs. It's possible. I, I think there's some contract issues and some salary cap concerns that might come along with McCaffrey coming to Seattle. Just maybe the, the salary caps magic. Don't forget. And I guess the only other little piece of news here, Jamal Adams to have surgery to repair a torn labrum from the 49ers game and also surgery on his two broken fingers. Yeah, lots of surgeries uh, for Jamal. And I think doubly emphasizes the gutsy effort that he gave us in the playoffs there. Pay that man. They need to pay Jamal. We'll probably be getting into other players that they need to pay. I know there's people out there that probably want us to get to this, like all this offseason content right mm-hmm. away. Who are they going to yeah. pay? Who are they going to kick to the curb? You know, we, we've got we've got weeks to kind of unpack that and, and diagnose things and, you know, remind you that the salary cap is magic in the in the coming weeks. So mm-hmm. and we can't just do it all at once. Well, I mean, I could sum it up real quick. Pay everybody except for Dunbar because his uh, supposed market value is uh, a little steep. 17.6 million, according to spot track. <laughs> that's not yeah. that's not high at all. Yeah, I, I seriously I still question like I like I said on Facebook. Does his agent work at spot track? Something happened. Somebody hacked into the spot track system. Somebody's mm-hmm. going to be going in there. Some some staff assistant for some team. And they're going to go, oh, maybe we should look at this Quentin Dunbar guy. He's he's the projected top cornerback at seventeen point six million dollars for his market rate. You know, I, I think we ought to talk to that guy. Right, right. Well, they can uh, give him a phone call, please. While we're talking about phone calls. Uh, no, at- <laughs> no, nope. no, not going to go there. Nope. No, we have we have to go there. I just I it, 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 it makes me sick to my stomach even thinking about the words that are about to come out of your mouth. The Seahawks talked to Doug Peterson on the phone. Yeah. yeah. Hooray. And Adam Gase. I mean, just no, no, forever. No, absolutely not. No, 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 Maybe, maybe they gave him a call or he gave them a call. Um, this is why you idea- have call screeners. I, I don't even know where you're going to go with this. You have people on the phones that say, may I ask who's calling? And yes. when they say Adam Gase, 
they look mm-hmm. down at their list and say, people we do not take calls from. And Adam Gase is on that list. <laughs> Adam Gase is on the line. Unless you're a reverse psychology genius like we know John Schneider is. And he just wanted to get Adam Gaze on the phone so he knew, uh, you, so he could kind of interview him and hear what Adam Gaze had to say. So he knew what to not look for in an offensive coordinator going forward. Has there been a guy with the creepier stare that's ever coached? No. Well, I, I think you can answer no to that too. But has there been a person who's ridden farther on the coattails of Peyton Manning than anybody else in the NFL? <clears throat> and I, this isn't even a shot, and I think he'd laugh at it. Maybe Pat McAfee. <laughs> he he's got a he's got a long ways on Peyton Manning stories. You know, yeah, what I he mean? has talent though. He he has shown that he is oh, yeah. a, a talented broadcaster. Like I said, that's not a shot. I mean, use what you got. No doubt about it. But, uh, you know, if I'm going to see who got the most mileage out of that, it's pretty close. Yeah. Well, one of those two actually deserves their success. So Mm -hmm. there we go. Yeah. And his name doesn't rhyme with mine. All right. Moving on to our meat of the episode as we're we're going to go through this Pete Carroll press conference. I, I think we can get some important clues and and so I, I went through and I, I kind of clipped out some of the things that I know are going to be discussion points through the offseason, things that Pete Carroll, he usually gives us some clues about where the team's going to go and issues that he had in particular. And so I, I think this can be kind of a, an instructive thing to go through this and, and hear what Pete had to say. OK, and so we can kind of interweave the uh, shoddy um, oh, parting of ways if we're going to use the uh, the really nice uh, friendly language that they use for this, uh, you know, going through Pete Carroll's press conference. We can kind of interweave that in and have that discussion. Yeah. Yeah. They had philosophical differences, Adam. Obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They sound like they've got two very uh, polished divorce lawyers, like uh, spinning the yarn of what's going on with their relationship or now lack thereof. Let's start off with one part of this that I I don't think there's going to be that lengthy of a discussion because there weren't that many questions about it in the press conference. It was the Seahawks defense. And I thought this was the one big question. So kudos to the reporter that asked it, especially in this way. And that is, did the Seahawks defense get better or did they just start playing bad offenses down the stretch? Yeah, the, the the offenses weren't all real dynamic at the end. They they were you know hurt. They were hurting too. This season was all about injuries, and you know as you go through it, maybe more than ever. And uh, guys didn't have teams didn't have all their guys, and and so we tried to take advantage of that as best we could. And I thought we did. You know, you can only play the team that, that's out there. You, you know, and the teams that we played, we played really well against. Our scheme uh, improved immensely during the course of the season. It did. We got better. We got more more accountable, more consistent. We we knocked down the uh, the explosive plays. Uh, we played the running game really well. I mean, there was so many things that we rushed the passer. Like you guys never would have thought we'd rush the passer like this. You never thought this was going to happen. <laughs> not not one of you, except for Jen. Jen was talking about she could see it coming, but but all the rest of you guys could not ever have imagined that we could rush. The passer and, and I don't know where we wound up, but we had like three sacks at least in a bunch of pressures all the way through the last seven or eight games of the season. And and it was just we were on fire with it. Well, that that's we got better. You can't do that just that just happened. That wasn't luck. Um guys tied together, they 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 played together. Kenny called it right. He he used his guys pro- properly and and uh and the coverage guys 
did a did a marvelous job. Really, D, uh, DJ had a fantastic addition uh, when he came in and played. Played great for us uh, uh, at right corner, and and all of those factors did come to life. You, you could we watched the team struggle to find their offenses against us. They knew what we were doing. We weren't trying to fool them as, as much as just trying to outplay them. And we watched them try to struggle to find their their, their game. You know, the Rams didn't throw the ball very well, and no, nobody threw the ball very well at us. You know, throughout the second half of the season, and and uh, that had to do with the rush. But it had to do with the guys on the back end, too. So we made a big improvement. Pete Carroll referencing Jen Mueller there, one of the Seahawks mm-hmm. reporters. And uh, yeah, she she knew what to expect from the defense. But no, none of none of the other guys. It's funny because you gave this reporter kudos for asking that question. I think he asked that question after they had asked him about the offense for like the 15th time. <laughs> right. and, and he was and Pete was definitely a little annoyed by that. And he's like, all right, that'll be the last question. Unless one of you guys have something different to ask me. So I'm not, I'm just saying the same crap over and over again. That was the hardest thing to go through and clip this because everybody was asking about the offense and they were asking it in so many different ways that it, it, it kind of all led to the same kind of answer. It, it led Pete to talking about it in a couple different ways. But it was hard to really dial in on the one clip that you could point to that kind of encompassed Pete Carroll's issues with the offense. And, and so I'll get to that. But did you have yeah. any more comments about the defense? Oh, right. Yeah, we should probably talk about that since nobody else did during this. Um, yeah, I think that I actually am buying what Pete's selling here when it comes to the defense. It did seem like there was actual improvement there. It doesn't feel like it's totally fool's gold. Uh, is it? As good as it looked down the stretch, you know, in terms of going forward, this defense, I'm not 100% sure of that. Uh, but it's certainly better than the first six, seven, eight weeks of defense that we saw. Yeah, it was on pace to be historically, not historically for one season, but historically the worst in the NFL ever in terms of passing mm-hmm. yards allowed. Right. And they did. They turned it around. They found the pass rush. The having Jamal Adams in there and and cutting him loose and and really the emergence of Jordan Brooks over the the season and just all these guys. DJ Reed being a big uh, find throughout the season and figuring out where everybody fit and then also getting everybody comfortable in their roles. Uh, I think it it was a huge deal and I I do think that the improvement that we witnessed was real. It was not just a function of playing some poor offenses going down the stretch, poor offenses, or how did Pete put it? Uh, the offenses were not very dynamic, not very dynamic. Correct. And so I did mention that, you know, it was, it was kind of hard to find that one clip that explained the problem with the offense. And it's probably something that we're going to be talking about throughout the off season, because, you know, you can point Mm -hmm. to, you know, what are the things that Pete Carroll said? What are the things that Russell Wilson did? What are the adjustments they could have made? What is it? that Brian Schottenheimer did that really impacted or, or had the potential to impact the team in the second half of the season. So, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of those things you're just not going to have answers for, but I think what it came down to was the, the inability of the offense to, to find balance. And so I think this clip explains for me, what was the issue with the offense in the second half of the season? We know the potential that we have in in exploding and getting the ball down the field with our guys and all that. And we just wanted to keep thinking we could get back to it, you know, because it it's such a big part of our of our attack. Russ is so good at throwing the ball down the field, and so I, I feel like we we lingered in that, you know, the kind of the, the glow of the first half of the season, you know, as we needed to adjust a little bit. We didn't we didn't do it well enough. We didn't do it fast enough. We have to, you know, make sure that we 
you don't get stuck. You, know, you can get stuck in, in running the football too much. You can get stuck on throwing the football. You can get stuck on how you throw the football and, and, and all that. And so we just have to be more flexible. It's why balance is so important, you know, so that you have what you need when it's time to go to it. I think we got we weighted ourselves out of balance early in the year. We were, it, it was so attractive throwing the football because Russ was 70, 75% and we're rolling and we're scoring, you know, tons of points. And, and uh, it was fun. You know, <laughs> we liked it. We got lured into it a little bit. Running backs went down. Remember that when that happened? And then we, we got out of kilter a little bit. And then coming out of that, we never, we never got as balanced as we needed to be. And so the reason why I was saying, I, I think this clip encompasses it. I think they got into that mode of passing the ball more on early downs, which is you know part of, of what people were saying as part of let Russ cook. You need to throw the ball more on first and second mm-hmm. down when you mm-hmm. get favorable alignments to throw the ball because more people are expecting run on those early downs. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of got into that rhythm as an offense and then they never got out of it. And so when you got toward the second half of the season, you were seeing a lot of those same type of looks where they were expecting those to be there. And it kind of fed into that idea of Russell Wilson looking downfield when he should have been more focused on uh, moving the ball more efficiently. And, and so that, that's why I think that that soundbite kind of encompasses where they were through the second half of the season. Yeah, I think you did an excellent job choosing that little bit right there because it does kind of encompass what he's trying to say, because the reason why the question kept getting asked to him a thousand times about the offense was it wasn't what wasn't working. It was why wasn't it working, right? And Pete was dancing all around that because he doesn't want to give up the why so that everybody in the league knows why their offense was broken, right? So he kind of kept going back to the what uh, in the problem there. And so basically the way that I take what he said here and what he was saying earlier when he said we need to run the ball more is – Just like you said, early in the season, you start throwing more on early downs and it's working. And then the league adapts and they start playing too high safeties and and doing all that stuff to really take away the downfield explosive uh, passing game. Well, at that point, then you need to be able to run the ball to dictate to the defense that they need to change to open things back up for that. So they started out with just throwing the ball on early downs throughout the first part of the season and never got the run game kind of going and get the offense with a flow of how to do that. And so when it came time that they needed to do it, they couldn't do it. They couldn't find it. They didn't have the the cohesiveness offensively in the run game for one reason or another. And that's when he said too somewhere in there, he goes, said something along the lines of, you need to be able to get to other stuff when it's needed, right? It was something along those lines. And what he means by that is when they go too high safety, we need to be able to run the ball to bust them back out of that. So then we can take shots with DK and Tyler down the field. That's what we need to have that counter punch. Right. Right. So when he's saying, I want to run the ball more, it's not, we're just going to run the ball for the sake of running the ball. What he's saying is, when the situation dictates it's time to run the ball, we need to run the ball. And we didn't do that this year. And the little bit that we tried to do it, it didn't work. And then we got behind the sticks and now you're the worst team or the team in the league that has the most third and 11 plus in all the league. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you were, you were crap on the first two downs because you couldn't, you couldn't really run the ball to change what the defense was doing. So then you tried throwing the ball 
Well, if they're playing for the pass and they're playing coverage, it's going to be really hard and it's going to lead to more sacks. It's going to lead to more interceptions. It's just a problem. And it put them behind the, I put him behind the eight ball all the second half of the year. Well, especially if your quarterback doesn't adjust to how to move the ball down the field efficiently, if you continue to look for those deep shots. So I think that leads us into Pete Carroll's evaluation of Russell Wilson. Gosh, he just was just smoking early, you know, with all of the, we were just on fire. You know, we scored all those points early in the season. Um, really couldn't slow us down. And, uh, that it was almost lost that it was just so consistently good and then as we we got down the stretch it got hard you know and, and the games got hard we tightened down some to make sure that we kept the games in, in in control knowing who we were playing against the style of teams that we were playing you know you play the rams twice washington the niners all those teams have the giants all have great defenses um in in the challenges they all played very similar style of play and so that you saw our style of play really got minimized some that we can't let happen uh, i will share this with you that we have to run the ball better and, and, and not not even better we have to run it more and and that's to we have to dictate what's going on uh, with the people that we're playing and that's one of the ways to do that and uh, i know the fans aren't real jacked about hearing that but uh, um, but russ knows it too you know we we need to we need to be able to knock those guys into the scheme that we want to throw at and uh which was happening more early in the season. And so we took full advantage of it. Oh no, we have to run the ball more. Adam, it's so scary. It's Pete talking about going back to 2018 and, and running the ball 70% of the time. No, he's talking about going back to 1933 and running the wishbone every play. <laughs> like we're going to become the most archaic team in all of football. You know, we're, I mean, who, who runs the ball more to uh, say, Take the defense out of a look that you don't like so that you can put up a bunch of points late in the game. Um, it's almost like I just watched that game this last Sunday. Oh, wait, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just did against the Saints. They were playing two deep safety the whole freaking game, and they were limiting where Tom could go with the football. So they stayed patient. They ran the damn ball. They took the checkdowns. And then later in the game, when they had to gamble to try to stop the run, then you saw Brady get his shots. It's almost like that's how you play football to win. You saw it even in the Green Bay Packers game against the Rams. They ran a balanced attack. You know, they were pounding the ball with a run a little bit. And then toward the end of the game and ran play action, the safeties bit and it opened it up for the deep pass down the field and they got a 55 yard touchdown. Yeah. And honestly, the Saints, they were in the Saints Buccaneers game. When they were flip-flopped, when Saints were on offense and Bucks were on defense, it was the same exact thing going on. The only difference was is that when the safety started lurking down a little bit deeper or deeper into the box, they couldn't go to the play action pass and get Breeze to hit him deep because he couldn't throw it for further than 15 yards. They should he just can't do it anymore. And so that's when their offense fell apart because they didn't have that counter punch. And that's what Pete's getting at. We need to be able to counterpunch in a bunch of different ways. And he also mentioned a couple of times that they were just slow to freaking adapt. You heard Tyler Lockett say it in his press conference. You heard Russ talk about it a little bit in his end of the year conference. Yeah, that's the frustrating thing is the idea of being slow to adapt because it's not like slow to adapt in terms of making a halftime adjustment. It's being slow to adapt at what you've been seeing the entire second half of the season. Yeah. And that that rigidity there doesn't make a lot of sense. And part of that problem is Russ. I mean, I watch Sam Gold's breakdown of uh, 
the the last playoff game here and you know the title of it was something like it really wasn't Russ's fault or something along those lines right mm-hmm. but i mean it was a little bit his fault a lot of the things we talked about on this show where when Sam's breaking it down you're like yeah he's reading everything deep to short and then running out of time and then the offensive line just not being good enough period in that game I and mean, we got whipped up front that that's a problem but I do want to talk about Pete's philosophy a bit more in the way people hate that. Yeah, I, I think that leads us into this next clip because it it kind of gets to that idea of running the ball more. And and because Pete addressed this, because I think it, he touched on it there at the fans being concerned about it. And so he was he was extra careful about how he explained the way in which they wanted to run the football more. It's really a football thing. It's a scheme thing. And um, I want to see if, if, if we can run the ball more effectively to, to, to f- focus the, the play of the, you know, the opponents and, and see if we can, we can force them to do things like we'd like them to do more, like we have been able to do that in the past. That doesn't mean we're going to run the ball 50 times a game. It, it means we need to run the ball uh, with, with direction and focus and style that allows us to, um, to dictate the game. And uh, so, you know, I, I mean, I'm just frankly, I'd like to not play against two deep looks all, all you know season long next year and so we have to be able to get that done it's not just the running game it is the style of passes that, that will help us some but it is it, it is we ha- we have to get after it a little bit differently so as it as it unfolded in the, in the end of the season it became really obvious you know in the last four or five games it became really obvious so see i think we got a clue there that it's not just the run game he also says it's the style of passes the style of passes and then also just being able to dictate the game, right? And if you're a good running football team, I mean, let, let's be let's be real. I mean, Kendall, Kyle Shanahan gets credit for all this creative run stuff, right? And it, and it is creative to a degree. But the run game is infinitely simpler overall than the passing game. I think we can all agree on that. Sure. So if you can be dominant running the football, that's very simple. And you dictate the terms of the game and they can't stop you running the football, there's nothing they can do about it schematically. It just takes all of that out of the equation. You just dictate the the terms of the game now. And I think that's a huge deal. And it's something that teams have used very effectively for a long time. I want to talk about Pete's philosophy here a little bit because, oh, we're going to go back to Pete ball. It's going to be, you know, 1935 offense. And what is this? We spent 35 million a year on a quarterback. We're going to run the ball more. (laughs) I I just, I can't believe what I'm hearing out of people. Let me, let me, let me hit you with some facts, some stone cold facts that are irrefutable. If you look during the Russell Wilson era of every NFC team that made the Super Bowl, the, the team from the NFC that made the Super Bowl every year since Russ has been in the league until this year, Okay, Mm -hmm. let's take a look at where they finished in rushing each one of those teams. Fourth, fourth, first, second, fifth, third, third, second. And if the Packers happen to win eighth, that would be the lowest. That'd be the lowest. Not one team that's been less than the top eight in rushing to be the NFC representative in the Super Bowl. No, once you're in the Super Bowl, then it's anybody's guess, right? It's one game, the football, who knows? But the goal is just to get there and give yourself a shot, right? Yeah. Okay. Now let's take and the, and the other half of Pete's philosophy is 
play great defense, run the football. Hey, let's take a look at defenses and how the defenses of these NFC uh, champions look like going into the Super Bowl. Third, first, first, sixth, 25th, fourth, 19th, second, and ninth if uh, the Packers make it. So from 2012 through 2020, that eight-year stretch, there will have been two NFC teams, and if the and if the Bucks get there, they're sixth this year. Yeah, they're a good defense too. So six out of the last eight years, you needed to be a top ten defense at least, except for two fluky years. What does that tell you, Brandon? It tells you you need to play good defense and run the fucking football. <laughs> right. I know it's not glamorous. I know it's not sexy. I know the analytics don't uh, love it. I know that uh, Russ really wants to throw a lot of touchdowns every single year, and that's going to be better for his career. And he thinks he needs to grow as a, as a passer. Right. But here's the stone cold truth. You got to run the freaking football and play good defense. And I just watched it unfold in the NFC playoffs this weekend. All the teams that were able to do that very thing all advanced. Well, there's another aspect to it, too, because, yes, those two things are part of Pete Carroll's philosophy. But making explosive plays are also part of Pete Carroll's philosophy. Explosive plays dictate your scoring opportunities. And so we we got to look forward to them. But but around that, we got to make sure that we're efficient. And against really good defenses, you have to be efficient. We have to go back, and third down has got to be better. We have been, uh, somebody, uh, Paul, uh, earlier cited the numbers. We're right in the middle of the league. We need to be better than that. And uh, Russ is good enough to be better than that. Our, our, our scheme is good enough. Uh, Tyler, DK, uh, we need to mix the throwing game on third down. We need to mix our run game on third down so that we don't, uh, you know, we, we don't have to leave the field. We need to stay out there. Leave us out there, we're dangerous. And, and uh, so... That's a really specific area of the game. It's running the football more effectively to control the scheme, and it's third down play. If you really want to nail it for, you know, okay, that's that's where Pete thinks he needs to go in this offseason. So, yeah, third down, another thing that uh, we, we haven't really talked about yet. And that was one of the things that was really apparent in the Rams game is they got into situations in third down to where they were either behind enough to where the I, going back and yes, I went back and watched this game again, too. I, I didn't want to. But did you do something wrong? Or was this a self-punishment thing? I don't know. Like, what, I, I, got, yeah. I, I got very curious kind of about this third down aspect here and Pete talk about it because I was I was curious of the types of plays that they ran and if play action ended up being a factor specifically because of the running game and the Rams. They did not have to respect the run game at all. When it came to third down, when it came to, you know, second and six and above, they they just would not. They well, for one, the Seahawks didn't run a whole lot of play action because a lot of times they were in position to where play action wouldn't be all that effective anyway, because you're you're in second and ten and uh, it's just the the linebackers aren't going to bite generally. Now, there there are some times where they do, but the Rams, you, you weren't seeing it from this defense because you would run play action. And there would be like one linebacker who would you know, mm-hmm. where it was his responsibility to cover Chris Carson. So that's generally where you get some of the the most efficiency out of your quarterback. And without that threat, the Rams didn't have to respect. Exactly. And again, running the football actually plays into this third down conversion situation. 
So one of the ways that you can convert more third downs is to stay on schedule offensively to be in third and five and less. Right. Right. But in, you can do that with more certainty, with more um, repeatability running the football. Like you, usually you can do that. You can get to third and five by running the football pretty easily. That's something that you should be able to do series in and series out. Right. Yeah. Throwing the football a lot. You end up, it's a little boomer bust. Sure. Okay. It worked out this series for, you know, two sets of downs. And then all of a sudden it didn't. Now you're in third and nine, third and 12, or you have two or three series in a row where it doesn't work and you get behind the chains. That, so that's that's one area in where the running the football makes a big difference in converting third downs because it gives you more manageable third downs. Secondly, if you're in a manageable third down, say we we play just like we did all year, but on every one of those third and three and less, every one of those or 80% of those, we were able to hand the ball off and pick them up. What would our third down conversion rate look like there? How many more plays would they have on the field? Yeah, it'd be more toward the top half of the NFL. There you go. And Russ talked a lot about finding that little margin, the little bit there. He, Cause and I, I don't think he was wrong on this, that they're to go from where they were at the end of the season back to throwing up a ton of points. It's a small margin of things mm-hmm. that, that need to occur. So I, that's just it. Like, okay, if you run the ball a little bit more, you give yourself more manageable third downs, you stay on schedule. And then when you have those third and shorts, you can cram it down their throat and pick those up. It's going to be, that's going to be one of those small margins and it's a big deal. And again, I I want to make sure to repeat this because Pete was very clear about this. And I think I I just get a sense of some of the articles that are out there. Some of the discussions that are, that I'm seeing on social media that the Seahawks are going to go out there and, Try and run the ball 50 times. And so when you see all of these articles about Pete's philosophy, you know, clashing against Russell Wilson's skill set, think about this clip. I, let me make sure I don't overdo this thing with the running more thing. We need to run more in with focus and direction and, and count on it a little bit differently than we did. It isn't going to be, like I said, it ain't going to be 50 runs a game. We're not doing that. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to explode with a throwing game. And, and, you know, but we need to dictate need to dictate the, uh, you know, our, the way we're being played and uh, better and see if we can do that. Yes. So I, I think this is nuanced. It's not one way versus another way. And when you say balance, it makes it sound like you're looking for a 50-50 type balance when it, it's finding the right balance to make the offense work. So let's say the stat nerds want it to be 80-20. Okay. I don't know what their actual numbers are that they like to see. But let's say, let's say it's something ridiculous like that, 80-20, right? And Pete's saying, yeah, I might want it to be more like, I don't know, 65-35. It's not a huge difference, right? It's like, yeah, we're still going to throw the ball a ton, like, but uh, we just need to run a little bit more. And not only that, I think the little bit in there that is the most important is he says, I want to be explosive in the passing game. Let's think about that for a second, because... Pete really does like using, seeing the unique traits in his players and trying to put them in the best position to exploit those traits. Let's talk about our quarterback. What is Russell Wilson good at? And what is he not, not as good at? For example. Yeah. He's really good at hitting deep balls. In explosive plays in that sort of thing. He's not good at throwing screen passes. 
being Tom Brady and dinking dunking his way all over the field and, and Joe Montana you to death with uh, precision passing. Is that Russell Wilson's game? It's not. I, I wonder if it could be, though. I, I, it can be to a larger degree than it is now. And that's uh, why I think question. the offensive coordinator is important and why I said on the last show that it felt like Russell Wilson was getting to the the edge of what he's capable of in Brian Schottenheimer's offense. I, I think he may need somebody else to to coach that into him, that it's that it's OK to move the ball quickly down the field and and drop back and hit your back foot and throw to the open guy and and scheme and have plays where guys are schemed open to where this is where you look. And, you know, 90 percent of the time, the guy is going to be there looking for the ball. Shoot. Let's just take a look at the Chiefs on fourth and one this weekend to close out the game to close out the game. That was that was that play a result of Tyree kill being a physical freak and better than the guy across from him. And he just won and Henny found him or did it really not much matter who you had running that route really at that point, because they schemed his ass open. Yeah. And just to point out again, you said Henny in the backfield. That was not Patrick Mahomes throwing to Tyree kill. No, no. Andy Reid with the big balls uh, <laughs> this last weekend. That was, that well, was fun and, to you watch. Know, part of that play, too, is that the way that they you looked at the body language, you even heard it talked about with uh, the broadcast crew. They didn't think the ball was going to get snapped. And so you kind of had that body language to where and then you throw it to the fastest guy on the team running out toward the sideline who just needed one yard, you know, yeah. uh, an outstanding schemed play. Yes, absolutely. Without question. And let's be clear. Pete's never going to be the guy that's going to out scheme everybody offensively. It's just not going to happen. No, but he could hire the guy to do it. He could. But also too, part of his style. And this is the part where that I kind of end up disagreeing with a little bit because I think you could. Why not use your brains a little bit? Right. Like it's good to be able to scheme yourself into easier situations. He's always been of the mindset of, look, we're going to run it simple. He even said it in the press conference. There's a line between what's too much for the players, right? Mm -hmm. Where you install so much. What's the point of putting up all this fancy dancy stuff if they don't play it well, if the players don't play it well, you know, there's a line of simplicity and he, he definitely goes towards the simpler side of things, but we're going to do it really, really well. And so even if you know it's coming, we're going to have superior athletes and we're just going to win. And that's a little bit of a college football. Well, he talks about it a lot in terms of not want he, he wants players to play fast. And he's talked about it in the past is if you have players thinking too much, they're not going to play fast. And that is very much a defensive mindset. That's a right. defensive player and a coach. That's how they think. Read and react. Boom. Simple decisions. Create chaos. Have at it. Right. Yeah. We need when I it think comes that works well on defense. But I, I do like you're saying on offense, you can build more of the higher level stuff into it without really it impacting the players as much as maybe it would on defense. And I think this is where Pete and Russ are a little bit of a crossroads. I uh, I did not feel great after listening to each of their end of the year press conferences about them being uh, even close to on the same page of what's going to happen next. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Russ's press conference was alarming to me. (laughs) It was absolutely alarming. 
I have never heard him talk about himself so much and things like, and it's just little things. And I know that, that and people will tell me I'm being ridiculous possibly. And maybe I am, but little things like they asked him about when the offense struggled. And he's like, yeah, I think back to the Rams game, the giants game. Right. Yeah. And they all, they were both kind of the same where in the first quarter, I just, I just didn't have the ball in my hands. I didn't. Okay. Wait, what the catfish are you talking about? We didn't. The offense didn't. The, and the reason why the offense didn't have the ball in its hands very much is because you didn't convert on third down. You didn't keep drives alive. And he 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 acted like it was this like they were just a victim of something that we we don't know. And not only that, but him specifically, I didn't have the ball in my hands. I in lots of answers to questions of yes, when I think about my career. And what I want to do, I want to throw a lot of touchdowns. Yeah. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be the best who ever played. And there was just so much more of that talk. And I want to be involved in the discussions for the offensive coordinator because I have ideas. I have, it was, it was different. It was different. And so I think you can hear some of that here with Russell Wilson talking about what the Seahawks and and his involvement needs to be in terms of going out and looking for a new offensive coordinator and really how it impacts him. The next 10 years are super critical, right? For, for everybody involved, the whole organization, and also myself and, and me as a player, you know, the legacy that I want to be able to create and do and to be able to uh, set the tempo on, you know what I mean? And uh, so I think it's, 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 it's vital. It's critical, um, it's, you know, super significant that, you know, obviously that we're part of that process and, and uh, coach coach and I've definitely been talking about John too as well. And, you know, we've, we've had some super, uh, long conversation dialogue great dialogue about the thought process of who we want kind of the idea kind of leader the, the thought process the innovator all that kind of different stuff that you that you that you want because you, you spend every day with that person right i mean you spend all the time you spend you know as many hours as me and shoddy spend together i mean i'm, I'm gonna miss the guy you know because we spend so much time together you know and you work so hard you know the next person whoever that is it's like it's really critical that we're on the same page at all times and always talking and vibing and and just uh, really, really on the same page. So I think that it's a really critical point to not just the wins, but also the championships that we want. And and also, just to be honest with you, me personally as a quarterback, you know, it's it's, an, it's imperative to my career too as well, right? And I think, um, you know, how far I want to go as a player. And I think that um, I, I think that's something that I'm really dedicated to making sure that whatever we're going to do to have those conversations and communicate all that. Uh, to making sure that we find that. So, um, yeah, I'm, you know, super excited about being in the mix of, you know, the conversation and hopefully we can find the right person and be a part of that. So, yeah, you could hear in there, Adam, that's especially when you listen to the adjectives that he used and, you know, how, it, you know, it's critical. It's, you know, super, really, really important. And he said that over and over again of just how important and critical and, and used it in, Use those kind of words. And I, I, yeah, like you're saying, I can't remember the time that I heard Russell really speaking this way following a season. Oh, without question. And he would use those terms, critical, important, all that. Right. And it was often followed by the words on the same page that were on the same page. And then people would ask him, Hey, so, you know, when it comes to running the ball more and all that, is that something that think we should do more? Well, you know, I, and he danced all over that. No, no, he does not think 
that it is linked to running the ball more. He absolutely does not. There, there's no, there's no way in his head that he does right now. I can tell you that it, that that was as clear as uh, you know, as it could possibly be. Cause then you're taking it out of his hands. Exactly. And you know, you did get a little bit of rust speak in stuff when he did talk about, well, you know, oh, my man, goal is I to could, win. You know what? I, as, as much as that was still left in that clip, I cut some of it out because it was it was that full of it. And he would he would talk a little bit about winning Super Bowls, right? That that's our goal is to win Super Bowls, Super Bowls, Super Bowls. Okay. Yes, our goal is to win more Super Bowls. Not for you to have not for you to be the greatest quarterback that's ever been. Like that's not our number one goal. Not only that, but if you want to be the greatest who's ever done it, win freaking Super Bowls. And how do you win Super Bowls? I just laid out how important it is to be able to run the ball well and play good defense. There hasn't been a quarterback short of the Mahomes recently that pretty much just kind of won it all on his own by just being awesome. And he happened to have one of the most creative play callers in the history of the NFL and lucked into, you know, some of the most talented dudes to, to suit up. Right. And in Kelsey and cheetah and in all those weapons, right? Like it's all just, and happened still to they didn't get there until they got things worked out on defense. And Andy Reed had issues with clock management. Yeah. Yeah. And sure you can win. There's a lot of ways to win a super bowl. There's no doubt about that. We've seen it over the years, but the most consistent way to get to super bowls is to run the ball and play defense. And that's why you see Brady go somewhere that they play good defense and you know, they've got a good running game and he can, he can just be the straw that stirs the drink at that point, you know, just the kind of the garnish at the end of it. And that's what you see when guys get later on in their career. This is why it's not surprising for me to hear Russell talk like this right now, because he's right at that age that you hear great quarterbacks talk all about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. And then about four or five years of losing ensues. And then all of a sudden it's just about, you know, going to a situation where they'll protect him. They can run the football and play good defense. Right. I'm dead serious. That's how it works. Yeah. Well, you don't see outside of Tom Brady. And I think we saw the graphic of it after uh, he won again to go to another NFC championship. He has more championship game appearances now mm-hmm. than all the teams in the NFL except for four. And one of them yeah. is the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, which he was largely responsible for, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was what? Steelers, no, Steelers, Cowboys, Cowboys, 49ers, Patriots, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the Packers were in there. I don't remember. I, I don't think it was the Niners. I think it was the Packers. Yeah. Yeah. Look at uh look at where Aaron Rodgers is at right now. Can you remember just two seasons back when everybody was having the conversation? Is Rogers washed? Is he done? Look at all these stats. He's in decline. And now he has an outstanding offensive line in front of him. They don't have really any named dudes for uh, running backs. No, no. But they invested draft capital and money in that offensive line. And they really, other than Devontae Adams, you know. They don't have any huge names there either. So I think protecting a quarterback, it can help both, you know, give Russell time to find the open dudes and also help you run the football. That's why offensive line to me is the number one priority this offseason 
in terms of personnel that there is. And it's not even close. Well, let's get into that because this is kind of how Pete Carroll, well, he started and closed his press conference, kind of evaluating the different areas. So let's go through it. Let's start off with the rookie class this year and and hear what Pete had to say about this year's rookie class. Yeah, I really liked the group. I thought that they... They just found a way to, to, to be a factor and help us out. Their spirit was really good. Uh, they were led well uh, by their, their teammates. Um, and, and I say that because their attitude was consistent. Uh, they made it through. There was no, you know, freshman dip or anything, you know, in, in first time around. You know, we played 17 games and, and these guys hung throughout the whole thing. Um, there's future, you know, there's future to the group from this point. You know, we haven't seen Daryl Taylor yet. Like I mentioned, uh, you know, he, he practiced with us for the first time and he's going to be a bright, real bright spot. Um, uh, Stefan uh, Sullivan is going to be a bright spot when we get him back too. Um, Colby Parkinson, you haven't seen much of, but really was impressive to us and is going to be a big factor in the tight end spot as a catcher and a blocker. A tremendous target, really smart kid. Um, Alton did great. Jordan Brooks was the was the highlight of it, of it all. I thought he had the best season to contribute of all the guys, um, and he should have, you know, with where we picked him. But he came through beautifully, and it's going to be a big, big factor. Um, DJ Dallas had a, had a big impression too, how he contributed in, in you know the teams and all the support group that he did. And remember, he was carrying the ball for us in the middle of the season. Um, so it was a really good group. Um, uh, yeah, and of course, Damian Lewis, yeah, would, the steadiest of all the guys, did the most, uh, had the biggest contribution that he played every game. And this guy, is a, he's a championship kid. He's really smart. He's really tough. It's not too big for him. He's going to have a great career. You know, so this is a really good group and, and uh, they'll help more next year. You know, they'll be a bigger factor next year. So do you think the the PR guy that was there with Pete like held up a picture of of Damian Lewis at the end? It was like, hey, don't forget about the guy who played almost every snap on the offensive line this season. Good Lord, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, as much as he talked up Jordan Brooks, who did have a nice rookie year, especially going down the stretch, like I'm going to kindly disagree with you, coach. I think Damian Lewis had the most impactful year. I think of he all forgot the- about him. I think he was thinking of him as a second year player. Yeah, I think he did. I think he did. But he's not wrong in terms of this rookie class really having a positive influence on the roster. And boy, we needed to, you know, hit on one of these drafts like this. It's it had been a minute. When you when you're talking about two of your top three picks having meaningful impacts on both the defense and offensive side of the ball, and not only that, but your second round pick wasn't a bust. It's not like he couldn't play. It's just that he couldn't play. He was injured. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that could still be a factor, right? And the idea that the Freddie Swains and And you know what you could, and and just to interrupt you, they could stand to lose him being a factor when a player like Alton Robinson, who was picked in the fifth round. That was the next name I was getting to, yes. Yeah, was the second uh, in terms of rookies with sacks. He was number two. And uh, yeah, I I think Robinson's impact obviously was uh, meaningful. And it was a big deal getting this thing turned around in terms of the defense. So, yeah, the that draft class, it'll be interesting to see who makes the jump next year, right? Mm-hmm. Because that it, unless you're either a receiver or a quarterback, usually it's that second year that you make the big the big leap. Yes, especially with Jordan Brooks, I, I think. Gosh, you can see him making a big leap with with being. And so I can understand why Pete would be excited about him being a factor. We're going to talk more about uh, the offense and defense. So I do want to save some of it. Mm -hmm. Let's let's move on to special teams, which, you know, 
in terms of units that we've evaluated just in the time doing the show since 2013, this might have been the best year of special teams that we've seen from the Seahawks. Personnel-wise, I'm really excited. Look at our kickers, man. The kickers were phenomenal this year. And I didn't mention Jason Meyer. You guys, you know, I didn't talk about him at all because he was had that streak going. So we just stayed away from it. But what a great, great season he had, you know. And uh, he's still in the middle of it. It's just this is he's just in the middle of this run. So I mean, Mike, you know, Mike's a great player too. So. DJ, we saw DJ Reed as a, as a returner, you know, and, and we saw, we all felt that the spark was there. And boy, he hit another one. He's going to be another big factor back there and however we use him. So there's just so many freaking positives, you know. It's true. Dixon was the head of the best unit on the team this year. And, uh, but no, their special teams was awesome this year. It was fun to watch. Well, were and, we going to uh, have fights in the offseason of whether or not Dixon or Myers was the best kicker of the two? Just Dixon and unit go better together. So I just wanted to make sure to. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we need to cut Myers and find a Johnson to <laughs> yeah, bring back maybe. Norm. He could be an Oscar Myers wiener. Like maybe that would be the way to go. Maybe. I don't know. But uh, yeah, no special teams is a real bright spot. And uh, I guess that's somewhere you don't have to worry about this, this off season. Another place that I don't worry as much. The Seahawks defense. Personnel-wise, we're going to put together this pass rush again and see what, what happens when Daryl comes back and, and enters into it. Uh, we'd like Benson to come back with us and, and be part of it. Um, counting on Carlos to, to be part of it. Uh, elevate uh, our opportunities to get Alton involved more. Alton was really good on the left side. I'd like to get him some more rushes over there. Um, that that's that's the main focus of, of you know is make sure that this pass rush comes back in, intact and uh, when we we can grow from there. Um, we saw a really good play inside, particularly late in the year um, from Jay Reed. He had a really good finish to the season. It was really a factor, and that's because he's feeding off the rush from the guys outside, and and, uh, and it's as it work, has to work in complement. So we'd like to really work hard at getting that done. Uh, see Jordan develop is you know continue to develop. He's a fine football player, and, and he's really going to be a big factor. Um, see how we can contribute with him. Get Marquise back, um, which is a big big deal for us. I mean, he's such a big factor. We get him back in action. Um, to add with the guys we had, you know, Diggsy and and, uh, and the way Jamal played, wow, it's a, it's it's an exciting group there. Um, we'll have some work to do in the corner spots because we have got some free agency going on there. You know, with, with Shaquille, we, you know, we got to keep him. We'd love to keep him with us. Um, and then Quentin's one of the guys, and DJ came through too. So there's a lot of real positive things on the defensive side. We're excited about. This is the weird thing about this defense now is that through the first. I don't know, six, seven weeks of the season and you're looking toward the end of the season and, and just wondering how they're going to be able to keep it together to where now it's the end of the season and you're looking at Carlos Dunlap. You're you're looking at Alton Robinson. You, you say, yes, Daryl Taylor finally got to practice. You know, Jaron Reed came on at the end. You got Puna Ford, who's a restricted free agent. So he's under team control, should be coming back next year. The only guy who's a free agent among that defensive line group that is that really had any kind of significant playing time was Benson Mayoa. Mm -hmm. So it kind of feels like you're almost set now with the defensive line going into next year. Yeah, it does feel like you have a group that you can roll with. I, I definitely think that um, you should strive to continue to improve it. I, I, if they spent more resources and time on the defensive line, I would not be sad about it at all. I mean, I, I know it sounds like a broken record, but 
seriously, if they just spent all of their time resources, you know, whether that's cap money, draft capital trades, whatever it is in the trenches, mm-hmm. I would, I would be excited. And most fans hate hearing that because it's not the flashy names. It doesn't sound cool, but that's how you win football games. It really is. And yeah, you do feel good about them. And it's funny because at the beginning of the year, you were looking at that secondary going, holy smokes, Dunbar, Shaq, you know, Jamal Adams, Diggs. We might have you know, Ugo. We yeah. might have one of the best secondaries in the league. And that's the one that you, the unit that you come out of uh, the season having the most questions about regarding free agency and stuff. It's very weird. And, and it's not really that in terms of questions. It's really the question of whether or not can they find a guy if Shaquille Griffin goes somewhere else in the offseason? Can they find another guy opposite of him? Because DJ Reed feels like the guy that you can say, okay, he's going to be a starter next year. Trey Flowers is going to continue to be on the team next year. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Quentin Dunbar, no, he's probably not going to command a, a $17 million contract. Uh, so is he a guy that you can come back? And, and you hear Pete Carroll no. talking about wanting him back, which <laughs> I was surprised that he, he waited until the end uh, of the discussion to really say that uh, Dunbar was one of the guys that he'd like back. So I, I don't know how much weight to throw into that because it is, it's very much about how Pete kind of structures his comments on whether or not he actually wants something or he's saying it, you know, to be, uh, he doesn't want to throw anybody under the bus. Yeah. He doesn't want Dunbar. He definitely wants Shaq back and he definitely wants Chris Carson back. I do think that he wants him back, but I don't think he wants to say enough to make him seem desperate about wanting Carson back. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, without question, without question. But I, I having listened to Pete for as long as we all have, I don't know about you, Brandon, but I, I can just listen to him and kind of get a sense of he's as transparent as as long to me. Well, we saved it for the end, which I, I think it's because it's going to be a big portion of the offseason discussion. Here's Pete with the offense. We have a lot of firepower. We, we, the receivers played great this year and did a marvelous job. Freddie Swain, we didn't mention him earlier, but Freddie Swain had a big impact on the season. Uh, he just contributed early on, but to go along with, with Tyler and DK, um, and then Philip gets back in action. David had a, his best season as well. Uh, the running back position is, is loaded up. We'd really like to see if we can develop a, a, a third down factor from the running back spot, You know, a guy that can really feature there uh, more so to help us on the third downs. Really fired up about Colby Parkinson helping us at the tight end spot with this. This will be better next year than he was. Two straight years of major surgery you know, to overcome. He'll be better. Uh, he's such a great worker. Um, Jacob Hollister, too. You know, and, and uh, um, you know, I'm going to talk to Greg again, see what he's doing. But that, but um, that's a good spot. Um uh, Brandon Shell, you know, the, the offensive line is—it's it's a good spot for us. I'm hoping that, that Dwayne will have a great offseason. He goes into the offseason somewhat healthy, and he's he's not in need of surgery at this point, and that's a big deal for him. So he can have a great offseason. Um, we need to make sure that the inside three guys all—we grow and get better there. Um, Damian is going to be better. Poe had his first. Postic had his first chance of starting at center. Uh, he'll get better, and and then the left guard spot with Mike and and Jordan and. and Fuller and those guys, we need to improve there and, and, and all. The, the areas that, that really want to get better at is I want to make sure that we, um, we get really efficient in the throwing game. 
really efficient. Russ was hovered right around 70% all year. You know, I've always said to him, he's going to complete 70% of his passes one of these years. Almost had it this season. But that's I want that kind of efficiency coming back next year because he's capable of it. And uh, and that that means we got to we got to tighten things down and make sure that we really can have the flexibility we need for all the games that we play. So the one thing that I got out of that, Adam, is uh, he definitely doesn't have a left guard in mind (laughs) because he didn't name anybody. That probably, aside from all the questions with the offensive coordinator, the offensive line is probably the unit on this team that you look at the most and have the most questions about. Oh, for sure. And I, I do think that through Pete speak here, you can get a sense of what he's thinking. One is... I'm not worried about right guard. Damian Lewis is our, is our guy. He's going to get better. Uh, that'll undoubtedly. Well, number one, I did. I liked our tackles. It's the inner three guys that I'm worried about. Right guard, Damian Lewis, feel good about him. Posick, yo, yeah, first go at it. <laughs> right. He might get better. We'll we'll look a little bit well, here. He's a free agent. So that's of the of the guys coming off their rookie contracts. It's Chris Carson. It's Ethan Posick. And it's Shaquille Griffin. Are, are your three guys who are significant starters? coming off their rookie deals. I would look to find a replacement for Posick. And then Justin yeah. Britt. Hey, I don't know. Maybe he's uh, ready to come back after a year to heal up. You yeah, never know. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. And then left guard was just, <laughs> yeah, we're going to do something different. <laughs> Mike, Kyle, you threw out what? Three names. Yeah. Yeah. So um, at least uh, Pete's mindful of it. Uh he said, you know, we have all these weapons, right? And I kind of agree. I mean, DK and Tyler are definitely major league weapons, right? Like those are great A guys. And then what? You need that third guy, whether it's tight end. Because I'm done with David Moore. I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. Okay. Well, and you know, he's a guy who is a free agent this offseason, which, you know, he's he fits that Jermaine curse role, I think, of... He can be really but just good. way less impactful. Yeah. He's way less than impactful than Jermaine would always come up with that clutch catch. Right. And he's had his moments. He, I, I thought that David Moore had one of the catches of the year in that end zone, you know, getting his tippy toes down. But in terms of catches in big moments, he didn't have them. No, in big moments, he's gone. I, I, I don't even notice him on the field. So they do need that other weapon. And yes, it could come at tight end, which he did say they were going to see what Greg was doing, which I'm pretty sure he's going to be in a booth <laughs> calling games next year. Yeah, that, that was Pete saying, yeah, he's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and I, when you look at the probably the biggest whiffs in free agency moves, you know, that one felt like a, a Russ move. Like we're going to do this for Russ. Like he, he mm-hmm. was all about getting Greg Olson on the team sure. and it ended up being you know, the, the most amount of money for probably the least amount of impact. I guess. Yeah. It wasn't that much money really though. I mean, 7 million is, it's a pretty good chunk. Yeah. I'm, you could get the best fullback in the NFL for 7 million a year. Well, I would love to see us bring in a fullback, but uh, I know nobody else wants that. So <laughs> that's okay. You, you know, bring in a fullback that actually plays fullback. Right. And I mean, Everybody dogs on on the idea, like how old school and stupid it is to have a fullback now. And it's like, uh, how many games did we have use check Terrace up or, you know, just in so many different ways. I think they're a Swiss army knife of awesomeness. I would love I would love more fullback. If you had a fullback like use check who can catch, who can block, brings a different dynamic to the offense. Shoot. Mike Rob was great. 
Yeah, it's been a while since Mike Robb, though. Yeah, I know. I'm aware. I've been missing it. Well, I, I know what you mean in terms of needing another weapon. It's going to be that, the offensive line, and whether or not the offensive coordinator that comes in is not Adam Gase. <laughs> yeah. So, cool. Here we are. The offensive coordinator. What do you want to see in our next offensive coordinator? Do you have suggestions? Man, there have been so many different names thrown out there. Well, let's just go through the names other than Gase, the uh, the people that they talked to. They said they talked to Doug Peterson, which that wasn't a it was characterized as an informal conversation. So maybe mm-hmm. it was like, hey, what are you doing? Are you going to be a head coach somewhere? Let us know if you want to you know, come home back to the Pacific Northwest type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, on a scale of one to ten, interest in Doug Peterson. I definitely put him up toward the top, like a seven or eight. Holy crap. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. It's like a two for me. Really? Number one, he rode the coattails of Frank Reich to a Super Bowl. There's no doubt about it. The second he was gone, that offense cratered. Their franchise quarterback cratered. He totally destroyed a, a, a team's culture after two years or three years after winning a Super Bowl. What What a ju- No, a hundred percent. No, Z- no, Doug Peterson. He has me intrigued just in terms of he has some of that offensive creativity, I think. Um, I don't know. No, if no. That was, I don't think Frank that was Reich all Frank Reich. The, I don't think that was all Frank Reich. Which team has had success since they split? Oh, yeah. The Colts or the Eagles? Right. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. And where were the Colts coming from in comparison to where the Eagles were when that split occurred? Okay. We, it, this isn't a debate that we need to have because it's not happening. It's he's okay, going to be a head coach God. somewhere. Well, pity that franchise. Uh, so there's Dave Canales, who is the passing game coordinator for the Seahawks. Well, he couldn't fix uh, cover two. So, you know, the, the thing that I wonder is how much autonomy Brian Schottenheimer had as the Seahawks offensive coordinator. I mean, I guess it wasn't enough that he can call his own fourth down plays because we found out from Pete that on that fourth and one that he got his play call in that he wanted. And that's a big reason why I think it came down to the very last second to be able to snap the ball. Yep. Yeah. He definitely had lost total confidence in shoddy by that point in the season. The level of autonomy was different at different points during the season. There's no doubt about it. And that brings me. So you kind of just went with names. Like I was kind of more well, curious. I, I was in trying what to go like through to the see. names that they've, that they've actually had discussions with, because you could go and talk about all kinds of coaches that they could go after but i mean what's what's more realistic anthony lynn was the other name that i I don't think that i mentioned that you know he could come to seattle and and he's i like anthony lynn and i think yeah maybe he has the temperament uh, you know to work with pete carroll to work with russell wilson but still with anthony lynn it's still maybe about a seven yeah that's a big solid meh for me that's a five or six I mean, I, I I like Anthony Lynn as a as a leader, and um, one of the most important traits to me that we find in an offensive coordinator this year is a guy that has the longstanding reputation and the the balls to be just frank about it to stand up to Pete. Because one of the questions in his presser was, "So who holds you accountable, Pete?" Right, and he was like, well, I used to have those guys, <laughs> yeah. but I guess now I don't. Talked about Carl Smith, who isn't there anymore. 
he talked yeah, about fired. His, he talked about his kids <laughs> and one of them yeah. is leaving. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so I think so number one, that's important to me. Number two, I want them to be good with offensive linemen. I want them to to have a, a really good track record of that. Number three, I want them to have some experience in a lot of different systems. Number four, I want their latest experience to be with a system that has shown to work in today's day and age. And number five for that system to kind of go through the run game because that's what Pete wants. That's my criteria right there. That's going to be oh, tough and number to- six being having having experience in a quick passing game. OK, a rhythm passing game. Who fits all of those categories to you? Bill Callahan of the Cleveland Browns. Oh, Bill Callahan of the Cleveland Browns. Look at what he did with that offensive line this year. And especially in the playoffs when it was decimated by injury and they still held it together. Right. He took a team to a Super Bowl. Granted, it was John Gruden's team, but he took he took the Raiders to a Super Bowl as a head coach. If you look at his Browns, his Cleveland Browns profile about the amount of Pro Bowl offensive linemen that have come out of his uh, tutelage. It's, it's quite a bit. He knows he has a lot of experience with the West coast system, a la Andy Reed, right. In the, the rhythm passing game and getting the ball out on time that we need Russ to do. He is a, currently the a coach with the Browns. And so is around Stefanski and his offensive system, which as we've seen in the playoffs, the Browns, it ran through the running game, and then had their explosives all built off of that. They knew how to handle a two deep look. Yeah. They were able to do it. Well, he knows how to handle it too. And I think that was some of the things that he was getting at is that he needs to be more involved, I guess, in making sure his offensive coordinator knows how to handle that, which no, no, no. he needs to have an offensive coordinator who has, who has the balls to stand up to him and then also be able to handle it on his own. Yeah. He needs to be able to handle it on his own. And that's, that's the other thing. Bill Callahan has been around the league long enough to where he can, he can stand toe to toe with Pete and go right back at him. Yeah. He hasn't been an offensive coordinator since you, you met since Gruden. So that is one big question mark. Uh, but you know what? It kind of fit in with the same type of guys that I was kind of looking at because I, I thought about Anthony Lynn, which kind of led me to, you know, you always got on this guy about his personality on the sidelines. And that's Jim Caldwell. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's been out of the league a while, but I do think that he has kind of that similar mix of traits um, what does Jim Caldwell do well? Well, I look back to his. Is time. he another one of those guys that has gotten a lot of mileage off of Peyton Manning's coattails? I don't know. I, because when you put in perspective what he got out of the Detroit Lions during his time there, nobody's ever been able to, to even come close to that kind of success with the Detroit Lions franchise. Jim Caldwell, the guy who got the lines to mediocrity, <laughs> but he got Can't wait to have that dude as my OC mediocrity. No, thanks. It's not too far off from your Callahan pick, but um, another- yeah, only only Bill Callahan's actually good at one of the things that we really need, which is building an offensive line. The other guy that came to mind was Mike Shula. After his time in Carolina, he was an abject failure as an offensive coordinator in this league. Yeah, he got he got them to a Super Bowl. Uh, no, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm totally out on Shula. 
Okay. So you either, so you either do that. You get a guy that's got some, some cred and has been around the block or you go with some young dude. The thing is, is that you can, you can go out and get those guys who aren't really exciting, who have been around the league for a long time. Brian Schottenheimer was that kind of guy. We weren't super stoked about him. No, because the history with Brian Schottenheimer was that he didn't, uh, he was never around dynamic passing offenses, right? Yeah. They was a ground and pound guy, Marty ball. And after, which is weird that people are concerned that firing Brian Schottenheimer is going to lead to running the ball more because that was going to hurt the passing game. That it's going to hurt the passing game. Yeah. Yeah. When his tenure ended almost exactly as the way we talked about what it was going to go at the very beginning of his hire, this ending isn't shocking. It's like his ending with the jets. He just, he listened to his coach and did what the coach wanted. And to the, and the passing game was broken, but not having the kind of freedom to, but not having the stones to, to stand up as to his coach and say, this is the way that I want to do it. Yeah. Well, the other names out there were a couple guys for the Chargers, Shane Steichen and Pep Hamilton. Pep Hamilton's been bantied about for lots of jobs for lots of years. And what, what his big claim to fame is he uh, he made Andrew Luck look good in, at Stanford, right? Isn't that it? Well, that was part of it at Stanford and Andrew Luck, but he's been with a couple NFL teams. He was the head coach of the uh, D.C. Defenders. And then, gosh, he's been a quarterback's coach going back to 2004 in the NFL when he started with the Jets. Mm -hmm. I thought he played in the NFL, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't recall him as a player, but... Quarterback for Howard University. I thought he made it to the NFL, but it Hmm. must not have. Yeah. I guess he wasn't that good in the XFL. The Defenders were three and two. (laughs) mediocrity you like bringing up <laughs> these mediocre guys <laughs> i brought him up because he's another one that that's the name's been thrown around we'll see which way they no, go now see what we need to do is not come up with any names and then that way we can just crush the the the, the pick when it comes up and talk about how terrible it is i was gonna say i'm, I'm quite certain no matter what uh uh, happens here over the next couple of weeks and whoever they end up choosing, we're all going to be disappointed somehow. <laughs> well, what are the chances that they go out and they find some guy who's that up and coming guy and that actually works out? I don't know. Is there anybody on the Colt staff that we could pick off? Yeah, we, we, it's time to start tapping into the Frank Reich coaching tree. Yes, the 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 fruit is now ripened. It's time. So you got Nick Sirianni, the Offensive coordinator. Yes, that guy. Him, for sure. 100%. <laughs> Nick Syrian Army. That's who I want. <laughs> Sirianni. Syrian oh. Army. <laughs> what did I say? Okay. <laughs> okay, he's been the offensive coordinator for the Colts since 2018. He was a wide receivers coach for the Chargers, a quarterbacks coach for the Chargers. He started off as a quality control coach for the Chargers. And then before that, he was with the Chiefs working his way up, starting at offensive quality control. So he's been in the NFL since 2009. Yes, it's his time. Nick Sirianni, come to Seattle. I think we did it. I think we figured it out. Yeah, we came up with a guy that nobody can poo-poo because you really don't know anything about him. 
other than he got a pretty good year out of Philip Rivers. Well, he was the uh, wide receivers coach with the Chargers. They've had some damn good receivers over the last 10 years. Oh, yeah. Right. So involved in that. Got Jacoby Brissett for half a season to look like a legit NFL quarterback. There you go. And then got a corpse of the corpse of Philip Rivers to play some competitive football and actually get to the playoffs. And he's been uh, under the the guidance of the brilliant Frank Reich. And you should be able to get him because he would be uh, the sole play caller, probably. So so it would be a promotion coming to Seattle Mm -hmm. rather than being in Indy. Because that's the other thing. You can't just take another team's offensive coordinator. Um, No. You know, no, then you're then you're basically a Detroit Lions fan where you decide that you can just take somebody else's GM when you want them. Right. All right, Adam. Well, we've blown through our midpoint of the show. So what do you say we just roll right into welcoming some new members of the flock? You know, I'm never gonna turn you down when you when you ask me if we should welcome new members of the flock. I, I every time I say yes. Well, I'm I, ready. I hate to disappoint you. We have zero new members of the flock this week. Mind games. What <laughs> is this? But you're basically we, Pete Carroll at an end of a year press conference. But we did get a raise from Joshua Dawes, who moved up to the 12-12 level. And Joshua comes hey. in, says, as the season approached, I was looking to see if there was a Seahawkers chapter here in Italy and lamenting that the military Seahawkers does not include spouses. And I stumbled on the podcast. I quickly listened to the whole off-season shows. I then retroactively addressed my freeloader status. Then, after a bit, <laughs> I got in the Discord, and now it's time to go to 12-12. The pod and the flock have been awesome. I get so tired of listening to unbiased, quote-unquote, experts give me the unbridled joy and excruciating pain that actual fans experience. You guys do that so well across all the platforms and shows, and I love being a part of it. Thanks from Joshua, a.k.a. Schultz and giggles in the discord. <laughs> That's awesome. I hey, appreciate it, Joshua. It's been awesome having you in the discord and now in the ring of honor. And uh, it's always cool when you hear like, yeah, I'm all the way over here in Italy. Yeah. And yeah, listening to your show. That's, that's crazy to me to think that there is a, it always is that there's a human being on another continent somewhere listening to my dumbass. <laughs> like that's, that's amazing to me. Well, and that's one of the most fun parts about doing the 12, 12 and above shout outs at the end of the show, because yeah. you get to hear where everybody's from. And man, we're up over 100. And so I think this is probably the show that we're we're going to recognize all of you folks once again. Probably a, a nice way to, to kind of kick off this end of season type episode. Although, you know, I, I think you and I need to come back and do our own kind of recap of this season. Uh, you know, now that we have Pete kind of his comments, mm. just kind of a, a year in review of sorts from a postmortem, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So we might have to do that coming up next. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I can do it uh, pretty quick for you. Defense sucked. Then it was good. Offense was awesome. Then it sucked. Then we lost to the Rams. There we go. Done. Done. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we don't need to do it because I, <laughs> you wrapped it up. <laughs> yeah. Put a bow on that crap. <laughs> We got some reviews in this past week. One from HawksFan907 says, I love this podcast. Adam's hilarious rants slash takes and Brandon's football smart. And Adam, there were for sure a few tears shed in this playoff loss. Keep it up, gents. Catfish! The Rams and go Hawks. 
<laughs> Go Hawks, man. I, I appreciate somebody coming in and understanding that, uh, you know, and sharing that uh, that loss also hurt their feelings. That makes me feel better that I wasn't alone. I, I think this next review came in from someone who the loss didn't hurt their feelings because the uh, the username is Rider 78 And so this makes me think it's an L.A.-based football fan. And also by the review. It says, Adam and mm. Brandon are so entertaining. It's like listening to two drunk fans in the bar go insane when their team loses. I loved it when one of them called Bronco coverage delusional as they cry about how the Seahawks had the talent to win the Super Bowl. You've got to respect that, kind of. <laughs> But a five-star review. So, you know, that was a nice, positive uh, review for somebody who was probably looking for some L.A. Rams schadenfreude. Uh, Yeah, that must have been what it was. I mean, one of the, what, six of them out there, the (laughs) Rams fans? Yeah. I think they may have picked up one this year or something. I don't know. But, uh, no, that's an awesome review, to be honest. (laughs) Because, yeah, man, we are homers, of course. It's a it's a Seahawks podcast. Yeah. And I don't think either of us said that uh, this was like a roster that was a lock to like win the Super Bowl. It's just they, they had the talent to get there. I don't know how that would be some kind of strange argument when you look at the the talent that was there in the first half of the season to the talent that was there on the defense in the second half of the season. You put those two things together and you have a, a team that could go to the Super Bowl. So that I mean, that's not that weird. Yeah. And um, the idea that we're uh, as delusional as the Bronco fans. Come on, man. Like we have we have a Hall of Fame quarterback. They have Drew Locke. Yeah. And but with similar expectations. Come on, man. I think I'm going to have some fun listening to Rams podcasts this week. You're going to have fun with that. You're going to enjoy that. Well, they get to cry about how they lost to the Packers. You mean like Aaron Donald cried? Just like Aaron Donald. <laughs> they didn't have a shot in that game. Oh, no. And the Packers just did what they were supposed to. I mean, they, they did the things. It's not that hard. No, it wasn't that hard. That's why we were so bad <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> at the end of that last game. Yeah, man. All right. Moving on to Pick'em Standings. Will J, who is Christian in Norway, got all four picks correct. Got the picks in first. So not only... Leading the standings at 190 points, but gets the win in week 19, the divisional round of the playoffs. So congrats to Christian. And that's just another prize I'm going to have to ship to Norway this year. So he's basically just winning it in the fourth quarter now. Essentially. Yeah, he's yeah, he's two picks ahead now of Collier Greens and Jonathan Burkholder. So with three games left, he's two picks ahead. All right. Well, we'll see if he, uh, you know, keeps pedal to the metal or if he decides to play a bunch of soft zone and go prevent here and and uh, make it close at the end. Well, I can do just, something silly like pick the Bucks and Green Bay. Well, you, that would be kind of silly to pick both of them since you no, have, the, pick the Bucks in Green Bay. Oh, oh OK. Y- yeah. So the two favorites, like if, if you're Christian, you pick. Mm-hmm. You pick the Packers and you pick the Chiefs, right? Uh, well, depending on what happens with the homies. With his concussion. Yeah. All right. Let's get on to do better and better at life. All right, man. My do better this week. I, I kind of hit it at it a little bit on the last show that I was going to address this topic. And this is probably going to be an unpopular opinion. And I, I don't Catfish! care. But uh, my do better this week 
is for all the players that have come out in a lot of Seahawks players, the, you know, as their seasons end and all that and talk about all the struggles that they had with COVID. What a struggle COVID-19 has been and all the sacrifices that they've made and how hard it was on them the entire time. It is one of the most tone deaf things I have ever heard come out of a professional athlete's life. Guess what guys we've all been dealing with COVID. You know what the big difference is? Is that we all didn't have guaranteed huge salaries. Like even a middle tier NFL player makes somewhere like 200 grand. This year would have been really easy with about 200 grand coming in for sure. Not only that, have all of the team facilities, all of the team doctors, all of the things that are at your disposal, right? To keep yourself healthy. You're basically catered to the entire time. And then they come out, they're like, well, now that we go back to our regular lives, I heard Tyler say this. What are we going to do when we don't get tested every day? What are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. The same fucking thing every one of else has been doing this entire time, guys. All right. You do your best. You keep safe and you do your thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, oh, we had to spend time away from our families. Guess what? I have to spend time away from my family when I go out on jobs as part of the freaking job. So to all these guys that talked about how this was some monumental thing. It was so difficult for them to get through with their millions of dollars, their personal healthcare staff, when however many million Americans don't even have healthcare. Give me a fucking break. Do better. Yeah, I don't know how, how controversial that is. Uh, this has been a struggle for people, and yeah, maybe they don't realize that. <laughs> I, I, that just doesn't seem idea. that hard to believe. I, just to act like they had it so rough through lockdown and all that. Are you kidding me? Half these dudes live in freaking mansions. So even if you were to lock down in your house, you had a whole mansion to roam around in. Imagine having a studio. I suppose there's probably players on the team that, you know, the, the rookie level guys that it was definitely more of a struggle for. Sure. But you're still getting what's the league minimum. Oh yeah. Even on the rookie scale, you're employed. You, you got tested every week. It's, it's probably yeah, how many people just lost their jobs, right? <laughs> you know, how many people don't even have health care to get tested? Well, I, and you know what? I don't think it was probably the players lower down on the pay scale that were that I that I would have seen any complaining from anyway. Yeah, it's been the dudes at the top. And then the, then the whole organization after this game, this drove me crazy too. this about set my hair on fire. Just. After that disappointing loss and that joke show of an offense against a craptastic team with a half a quarterback, they go out and lose and basically end the season. Mm -hmm. And then in the in the press conference, have the audacity to stand there and be like, hey, we kicked ass against COVID. (laughs) What a win that is. Well, no, I mean, I'm really proud of our guys that way. What do you do? I think it's an accomplishment worth highlighting, but you let other people highlight it. Yeah. All right. Well, my do better this week. You know, this is for the Texans fans out there. I don't know if you saw this, Adam, but Texans Mm. fans were organizing a march. Not not for, you know, any big political thing, not for any kind Mm -hmm. of human rights thing. They they were putting together a march to show their support for keeping Deshaun Watson on their football team. First of all, I I think that they don't have anything to worry about, that you don't trade franchise quarterbacks. We've talked about this over and over again. 
I can see I disagree. Him. I think he's going to be gone. You you think he's going to be gone? Okay. I do. Well, then maybe you would have been out there too. But, you know, I think that we should save marches for things that are yeah, maybe a little more meaningful. But second, with this march for Deshaun Watson, the crowd that showed up was completely lame. And I think it was going to be lame regardless of how many people you had before Watson came out and said, you know what? You probably shouldn't do that. I know Watson came out and said, well, it's because COVID concerns that, you know, you really shouldn't be gathering for for this type of thing. No, the bigger concern of Watson was that it's going to look dumb. And it did anyway. So Texans fans, take a page from the Seahawks fans playbook. Doing this online through Twitter is how you make things happen. You organize online. You come up with a catchy slogan. You get people on board with your pound sign movement. And you'll look a lot more organized as a fan base. And you'll all look a lot smarter. Because... Adam, what is the right number of people that you can get your point across with an in-person march for wanting to keep your quarterback? I think it would have to be upwards of 10,000 people in front of the practice facility, right? Okay. Yeah. A small number, it makes it look like you don't care. A big number like 10,000, it makes you look like a group of people that have should have a lot more to care about than who your quarterback <laughs> of your franchise is. 10,000 people getting together, you're going to get crushed for being, oh, what What are these people doing there? They think it's that important to gather in masses of tens of thousands when there's all these other things in the world going on for your quarterback, for your franchise. It's my quarterback, man. <laughs> so for doing a march in front of the stadium, it was not the way to go. Texans fans do better. So uh, save protests for like big things, maybe like don't cheapen the protest. Don't cheapen the protest. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Online pound sign movement. That's that's what go. that's the this is where this uh, needs to be kept into perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you do that, you can get it picked up by national media. And it's the media that's really going to have the uh, overall influence on ownership in the GM. Right. Right. That public pressure coming from that way. Exactly. No, I think you're 100 percent right there. Yeah. Yeah. 10,000 people. That would that would be dumb. I I think they have every right to be worried, though. I, I I think Deshaun's gone, man. You think that they would actually find a deal? Because this is the problem that you always run into with a guy like Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. What kind of compensation makes it worth it? And can any team put together that level of compensation to make it worth it? I think that's definitely out there. I think that trade deal is out there. I really do. I mean... There's everybody's got future picks. You know, there's a lot of teams that have a, a decent quarterback or one that's young with potential or, you know, things of that nature. Right. I mean, think about like the New York jets. So you, you, you got Sam Darnold in a bunch of picks and you, you send it their way or you um, make a deal with the Niners, right? Jimmy G plus two firsts. Right. So, you know, you still solve your 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 quarterback issue if you're the Texans and you start building for the future. The the reason why I think this is going to happen more than anything is the reason that Deshaun wants out is because they have no future because of Bill O'Brien. And then the reason why the Texans would let him out is because they have no future because of Bill O'Brien. They're giving her all the draft picks. They need to restock the closet. Right. Well, they already fired Bill O'Brien. Yeah, I know. So you're trying to recover from that now. 
why the thing that I don't understand is why Deshaun signed a contract long term with the Texans in the first place. I'm not saying he's made all the best decisions here. It was just a year ago when Bill O'Brien was his head coach and had already made those trades that didn't, yeah. you know, that took away the, those future picks. Maybe, maybe he believed in what uh, Bill O'Brien was doing and then felt betrayed at the end of it. No, come on now. I, I don't know, <laughs> but he, he's, and he's saying things in the media that you don't come back from. Okay. So what do you think about with the concerns about Russ toward the end of the season? You don't make that trade for Deshaun, do you? God, no. I'm just no. saying. No. Just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that question has been thrown out. So so don't get mad at me about it. Like I came oh, up I'm with Oh, I'm not that. mad at you. I'm not <laughs> mad at you. I'm mad at the people who threw out that question. It has now officially been thrown out. We're, we're done with that question. Okay. Yeah. I think you have to get a top 10 pick this year. Yeah, because if you get Deshaun, right? Like idea being that your team's going to be a lot better. So that pick that you traded away, that first rounder, it's probably going to be a late round first. Broncos? Yeah, you do it in a heartbeat if you're the Broncos. And they got rid of John Elway as GM, so maybe they they know how to identify quarterbacks now. Maybe that's it. On to better at life. Uh, my better at life than Skip Bayless. Um, not that I'm totally on board with this dude, but I just find the story to be kind of hilarious. My better at life is for. At, uh, boy, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this poor gentleman's name. Uh, Adite Singh, 36 years old. You know what he was doing the last three months, Brandon? Singing? No, he was living in uh, O'Hare Airport in Chicago. Just what? living there. What? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. They didn't really say how he got there, but somehow he got there and decided that he was too afraid of COVID to fly anymore. Uh, he's originally from California, uh-huh. so he just kind of like went to this secured area and like set up shop for like three months. No way. <laughs> Yeah, didn't get found. And then eventually he found like a badge lying around. Right. Uh-huh. And so he, he picked that up and he would just walk around with that. People thought he was an employee for the longest time. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting food from uh, you know other passengers and things like that. Free wow. hilarious. He just camped out. No hair for three months. I don't know exactly how he got that done. It's actually, to me, a hilarious story. The judge, not so much. They, they don't think it's uh, quite as funny. Um she says, uh, uh, being in a secured part of the airport under a fake ID badge, allegedly, based upon the need for airports to be absolutely secure so that people feel safe to travel, I do find those alleged actions do make him a danger to the community. What? No, he was not. there for three months. What kind of danger yeah. is that? Yeah, he was basically making a blanket fort in O'Hare, <laughs> <laughs> living there for three months. So to Mr. Singh, better at life than Skip Bayless. That is wild. Yeah. Now, if I'm concerned about COVID, though, is an airport the place that I camp out at? Probably not. I'm not saying he's making the best decisions overall in life, you know, with the best logic. Yeah. I just found the idea that he was able to just camp out in an airport for three months and nobody noticed. That is wild. Just just hilarious. Makes you wonder about Chicago uh, airport security as a whole. And that's probably more the thing in terms of the judge. She was just mad that uh, that that could happen. So throw the book at him. Don't take it out on this dude. Yeah, exactly. I think you need to throw the book at somebody else. Yeah. That'd be like being mad that the Seahawks offense struggled down the stretch in firing the special teams coordinator. Somebody's fault. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. Well, my better at life this week is for the Los Angeles Chargers and the New York Jets for doing the right thing and going out and hiring defensive head coaches. Because, Adam, it's the right thing to do. Mm. Am I singling out those teams specifically because they got their head coaches from the Rams and the 49ers? And I'm hoping that they have a hard time finding new defensive coordinators and that they hire guys that are completely the wrong fit and their defenses go into a tailspin collapse. You know, all their good players asked to be traded or refused to sign new contracts, therefore making Russell Wilson's ability to become the 2021 NFL MVP that much easier as we walk our way through the division and on our way to an easy division title. Maybe I haven't spent that much time thinking about it. I just know <laughs> that the L.A. Chargers and the New York Jets are better at life than Skip Bayless. I find it interesting that the Rams D coordinator was hired when he had been a defensive coordinator for what? 33 seconds. He has an awesome first name for one and for two. Yeah, what's his name he, again? Brandon. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. So, he, yeah, he's got a generic first name. You're right. <laughs> a gene- an awesome generic first name. Oh, OK. All right. And uh, he coached with Sean McVay. Yeah. McVay still got the touch. The kiss the ring of McVay. Uh, Sala in New York. How much success do you think he finds there? Uh, I give it a 4% chance of working. Over under uh, amount of seasons he he lasts in New York. I, I'll put the over under at um, two and a half. I would take the under. I think it's two. I think it's two as well. I think he's... I think he could be the next Mike Singletary. Oh. Like just rah rah guy, but yeah, there's a lot of those rah rah guys. And how is he supposed to fix Sam Darnold, by the way? Oh, they're gonna draft a quarterback. How is he gonna coach the quarterback they draft, by the way? They he brought the the dude, the passing game coordinator from the Niners with him. Oh, right. Young LaFleur. Yeah. The other LaFleur. Mm. Yeah, I don't I don't know that uh you know, secondary LaFleur is going to be the one. It's like getting the secondary Gruden. Yeah. Or, or uh, you know, secondary or, Schottenheimer. That's just what, not that as good the as next the one I was going to try and go with. Yeah. Well, we're on the same wavelength then. Yeah. All right. What do you say we close this off? Giving a big thank you to all of our $12 supporters and above. What do you say? Hmm? Oh, I, I'd say sure. No, I'd say yes. Bring it on. Keith Ketover, a.k.a. Flocktimus Prime, University of Cybertron, Little Flockers, Rollout. DCH from Sparks, Nevada, the University of Montana Grizzlies. Annalisa Mickelson, a.k.a. Mrs. Doug Baldwin, New York, New York, undergrad, University of North Carolina, Greensboro, graduate school, Brooklyn College. Jameson Holman from Murray, Utah, representing Mississippi State University, Hale State, and Go Hawks. Gary Blum from Chappaqua, New York, and the University of Pennsylvania, your 2016 Pick'em League champion. Ron Pepper, UNLV Running Rebels, San Francisco, California. Hong Kong! Ah! Hong Kong! Ah! Hong Kong! Ah! Ella Esparza, Woodway, Texas, Yale University, and Sam Houston State, eat em up cats. Lisa in Seattle. Kevin Stengem, Keene, Texas. Vincent Parker. Emily Carr University of Art Design, RN Collective. 
Samuel Gelber, NoHo, California. David Van Cleve, Camus, Washington, home of the papermakers. Leo Jesse, Ludio, Sweden, from Ludio Eskimos and Ren Comor in front. Paul from San Diego. Aaron Fisher, a.k.a. Lock it and put it in your pocket. Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, Seahawkers. My name is Garen Taylor. I live in one of the most beautiful places in the world, North Idaho. Hashtag on the rose. Go Hawks. Continuing with our supporters at $12 and above, let's start with our executive producers, Dustin Mock, Brian Shaw, and Young Choi. Then we pick it up at the top of the list, starting with Christina in Manassas, Virginia, Ross in Eureka, California, Craig in Camas, Sven in Berlin, Deutschland, James in Linwood, Roe in Federal Way, Hector in Issaquah, Becca in Manhattan Beach, California, Jared in Missoula, Montana, Tim in Austin, Kathy in Eureka, California, Joshua in Seven Oaks, England, Brandon in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Christian in Bergen, Norway, Jonathan in Ridgefield, Jeremy in Puerto Rico, Keegan in Colorado Springs, Paul in Portland, James in Beaux Arts, Jeffrey in Kansas City, Missouri, Kari in Rochester, Brian in Berlin, Connecticut, Eric in Seattle, Tracy in Kaneohe, Hawaii, Connie in Gothenburg, Sweden, Taylor in South Cleelum, Marvin in Riverdale, Utah, Dean in the Greater Hockdom, JC in Horsford, England, Chris in Spokane, Kevin in Sammamish, Jake in Seattle, John in Norfolk, Nebraska, Crystal in Oldsmar, Florida, John C. in the Greater Hockdom, John W. in New York, Shoko in New York, Scott in Bakersfield, California, Patrick in Sacramento, Bryson in Eltopia, Greg in Seattle, Jeremy in Federal Way, Ben in Wrexham, Wales, Ryan in Chatham, England, Joshua in Cander, New York, Ivy in Renton, Kenneth in Hutto, Texas, Mark in Bexley Heath, England, Mario in Seattle, Seth in Tacoma, Cora in Ditters, Deutschland, Anders in Vila, Denmark, Warren in Dundee, Oregon, Chris in Austin, Jose in Chicago, Jack in Summersham, England, Amy in Squim, Marcus in Potts Point, Australia, Preston in Phoenix, Richard in Killeen, Texas, Nathan in Bozeman, Montana, Marlon in the Greater Hockdom, John H. in Honolulu, Chad in Lexington Park, Maryland, Joseph in Vancouver, Benjamin in the Greater Hockdom, Bridget in Redmond, Norma in the Greater Hockdom, Jay in Monroe, Corey in Vancouver, Taylor in Spokane, Jesse in Sultan, Ryan in Salt Lake City, Kyle in the Greater Hockdom, Darren in Stafford, Virginia, JC in University Place, Chris in Billings, Montana, Tyler in Kalama, DJ in Menifee, California, Kevin in Great Glen, England, Terrence in Seattle, Jalen in Minneapolis, Kansas, Daniel in Post Falls, Idaho, Pedro in Woodstock, Georgia, Tucker in Camas, Eugene in Henderson, Nevada, Ian in Seattle, Joshua in Italy, Jamie in Oswestry, England, Mike in the Greater Hockdom, Eric in Kalispell, Montana, Tanner in Kalispell, Montana, and Kayla in Vancouver. A huge thanks to all of our $12 supporters and above making it through another season. And uh, we really thank and appreciate all the work that you've put in helping us with the show. Uh, you know, I think, you know, maybe next week we go more toward mailbag because I already have about three or four comments lined up that came in from this past week that I couldn't get to in this show. And so maybe we do that next week. Yeah, that actually sounds great. Love getting you guys in, uh, uh, you know, and involved in the show. I, it's always better. 
And uh, especially all you uh, little flockers in the ring of honor. That was an awesome list, man. You guys kick ass. Inspires me to be a little more upbeat through the offseason this year. And with that, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. No, forever no, absolutely not. No, 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 no,